Hello, I'm Leila Hidayat and welcome to this special edition of Stories to Change. So you can usually find me behind the scenes at Frontline, however during this extraordinary time I'll be recording from my living room. I'll be speaking to some really amazing people as well as some brilliant organisations who are adapting to support children and families during the pandemic and beyond. You, our lovely listeners and social gooders, will hear their stories, advice and hopes for the future as we learn together along the way. Hi everyone, so this week I spoke to the brilliant JJ Bowler, a writer, poet and mental health social worker on the Think Ahead programme. So JJ talks about how the pandemic is impacting mental health, particularly of men who generally have weaker social structures and are less likely to seek support when isolated. JJ hopes that the crisis has opened up eyes to the inequalities of society. Finally, he speaks about the importance of self-care and how looking after ourselves is incredibly important now more than ever. So I hope you enjoy this week and I'll speak to you soon. Hi JJ. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How have you been yeah. anyway? How's your yeah. week been? Yeah, good. Um, you know, it's just it's, you kind of go to work or you work from home and then do a bit of shopping and that's it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. How about you? Um, I actually had up till well, I had, yeah, Monday we had bank holiday, didn't we? So I had Tuesday mm-hmm. off and Wednesday off this week, oh, which good. was exciting. Um, but yeah, felt very slow. But that's always mm-hmm. a good thing. Watch lots yeah. of um, rubbish things on Netflix and yeah, <laughs> to fill the time. That's that's it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I feel good stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So what I've been asking our guest is to share something interesting about themselves. So one interesting fact. Some people have been completely horrified by this question <laughs> <laughs> and said it's the worst question you could ever ask. But I'm going. I'm embracing it. I'm rolling with it. Um, so if you are happy to share an interesting fact about yourself, mm. what would? Yeah, that be? it's uh, interesting. Is is the imperative word, isn't it? It's like what's interesting to you is probably not to many other people, but um, one interesting fact about me, which people don't often guess, is that I love ironing. Like I find it very therapeutic. I iron daily. I almost can't leave my house without ironing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's probably it. Do you know what? A, I wasn't expecting that, and B, I don't think I've ever heard anyone share that as a as an interesting yeah. uh, fact about themselves. So you're I mean, unique in that way. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> That's hilarious, lovely. Well, thank you. Yeah, so I guess you know, start by telling me a little bit a bit about yourself. Um, so you're a participant currently on the Think Ahead program. So I graduated in psychology years ago, um, many years ago. Um, and I had largely been working in like youth work and education. Um, I was always been passionate about mental health. And then I um, came across the Think Ahead program. Um, so I took a bit of time just to kind of find out what it was. I spoke to a few people, etc. And then the following year, I ended up applying and um, going through the very rigorous process and eventually getting on, which I'll delighted um to be a part of um and it's been you know really exciting really challenging as well um and like as an aside to that i'm also 
um, kind of really involved and passionate about community work um, and writing as well. Um, so I'm a writer and poet. I always feel really weird saying that because it almost sounds like a declaration of sorts. Um, but yeah, I often try to merge the things that I'm passionate about would you like to explain uh, to listeners who perhaps aren't quite sure about the, the Think Ahead program, what your role is currently? Yeah, so I work as, um, well, my second placement is with a community mental health team that focuses on recovery. So, um, and so it's really, it's really challenging, but also you have the opportunity to make really impactful work. Um, so I think it allows you to also to develop your skills um, to learn so much more um, than just about social work and mental health. And I think that's one of the things that I didn't realise before is just how much you have to know as a social worker outside of your own kind of immediate domain. So it's mental health social work, so it's a little bit uh, different to Frontline, so, which is focusing on children's social work. And we're kind of, I guess, at the moment... Um, slightly changing and, and coming out a little bit from that kind of lockdown stage but by no means does it mean that we are that the pandemic is over the crisis is over mm-hmm. in some respects when it comes to mental health we will only find out now what that impact has been on people suffering with their mental health and the impact of you know uh, being in isolation for these past weeks so I wonder if you could um, share from your experience and the people that you and your colleagues and your uh, your peers have been supporting what that impact has been uh, with regards to mental health um, so the lockdown has always been challenging uh, in two ways in like one sense uh, a lot of our service users have coped extremely well with the lockdown better than I think what was anticipated because, you know, it, it, a lot of our service users perhaps find it difficult to fully integrate in society and have full access to community resources. And so often tend to be more isolated than not. And part of our role is to uh, reduce that isolation. Obviously, lockdown has increased like, that sense of isolation for many. But for many of our service users, it's almost like, life has continued with a certain relative sense of normality and we've been able to continue to provide support in different ways. So whether it's by video call or by telephone or by letters, making visits, that still allowed us to maintain a certain level of engagement. But on the flip side, you're kind of seeing impacts in other ways, such as anxiety, like a lot of our service users who, or new uh, referrals who, experiencing high stress levels and anxieties or having traumatic situations that are exacerbating uh, mental health issues that perhaps would have been easier dealt with. So if we look at the links between um, poverty and mental health, you know, and how the, the, the lockdown and the current economic situation has impacted a lot of people financially, this has also seen an increase in many ways. But I think in kind of general terms, we're yet to really see how this lockdown will really impact mental health, um, not just kind of the services that we work with, community, but a wider population. And I think one thing that we have to um, kind of prepare ourselves for, factor in, is that, that we're kind of dealing with a collective national 
mourning, if you will, you know, that having to consciously reckon with death on a daily basis, not just your own, but, you know, friends, family, etc. I know, I mean, pretty much everyone who I know on a personal level knows someone who has either died or contracted the virus. So what does that mean for our well-being to have to consider and navigate our lives in this way on a daily basis? Mm. One of the things I read recently, actually, which I found quite interesting is how the pandemic has impacted people who perhaps wouldn't usually suffer um, with their mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fundamentally, like human beings, we're social creatures, especially when we have those social dynamics and social support system taken away from us or not. Um, for instance, with friends or family, we're not able to see them and not really able to speak to them in the way that we do. That is definitely something that's impacting um, on mental health. And also, as an aside to that, you know, there's other issues that have come up, such as rates of domestic violence that has gone up um, in the household, has been up by about um, 25%. So there are definite, you know, there's impact. It's, it's impacting in so many ways that we're still yet to fully develop a picture of what's going on. Yeah. And um, I know in um, your writing, so a particular interest of yours is um, looking at masculinity and how that impacts men and their mental health. So I wondered if you wanted to say a little bit more about that um, and yeah. also how men have coped during the, you know, the pandemic. Yeah, um, I think firstly, uh, even what I was referring to previously in terms of the rates of domestic violence, um, definitely it's a link to masculinity and the overall kind of patriarchal system that, you know, we, we live in that normalizes male violence. If we look at the statistics, approximately 8% of male vi- of violence is committed by men. And so what does that mean when that violence is contained within the home, you know, and, and largely for, for a lot of women, the home is the most dangerous place to be. And so, when we're in, under current circumstances forced to be at home, what does that mean when the conditions don't allow for that safety to, 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 to flourish? And I think really and truly in terms of like maleness and masculinity linked to mental health as well as COVID, it's really difficult to be able to paint a picture right now. But what I've seen so far from the work that I have been doing in the community is that men generally have weaker social structures than women and are less likely to seek support when, you know, they're isolated. And so one of the positives that's coming out of this situation is that you're seeing a lot of men, whether it's impromptu or in an organized way, try and find like communal ways of like supporting each other online. So whether it's um, doing like Zoom check-ins and, you know, even on a personal level, my friends and I, my guy friends and I, tomorrow actually are having a bake-off. So, <laughs> I mean, we've never done that. And that's likely something that we would have never done. But we're trying to think of creative ways that we can engage with each other and also, you know, offer support. With the uh, work that you've been doing in the community, would you notice that it's a, a difference between ethnicity and ethnic groups and uh, the way that communities are formed there and how they, um, I guess, 
support or how you know males feel that they can act in that group or, or support each other. I don't know if you have any comments of what you've seen in your community work. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of my specifically the service users or the people that um, I've worked with in my role or as part of our service, we have quite a diverse um, group of people that we do work with. But while saying that, it's very clear and you know, it's backed up by statistics uh, a lot of the mental health experiences um, that perhaps are um, more on a more serious scale are affected by men of African-Caribbean descent. Um, and I think that's not, I want to be really, really specific in terms of how this is articulated because it's not necessarily as a result of um, ethnicity of the wider circumstances that relate to that. So it might be socioeconomic class linked to ethnicity, or it might be education and access to employment linked to ethnicity, or it might be access to healthcare that's linked to ethnicity. One of the research that's come out also suggests that how medical professionals often misunderstand the level of pain or experience that someone of African Caribbean descent might be having. And so that creates a certain level of like distrust and frustration um, in mental health services um, or even just general health services. But I think one of the things that I would also say is like there's different communities organized in different ways and in different places. You know, so hubs closing down is going to be more impactful or perhaps um, the English working class uh, as a community compared to maybe gyms closing down, you know, because quite a significant cohort of African-Caribbean young men, you, you know, use gyms as a way to maybe socialise or access in or engage in a sport or other activities. And so we just have to think about how, how different social avenues operate in terms of ethnicity how we can continue to positively engage people where they're at rather than forcing or coercing people to go outside of like their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's probably... Thank you. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it does. Thank you, JJ. There's some really amazing resources out there and a lot of like campaigns that are actively raising awareness about um, men's mental health Calm was one of them campaign against living miserably. And, and there's a mentoring advocacy network as well. Um, and if it's not you, but if you're concerned about uh, someone in your life and their well-being, a man in your life and, and their well-being, you know, I think there's certain signs you can look for. Like, are they as engaged uh, as they were before with perhaps their favorite activities or their favorite tasks? Um, are they forgetting the everyday kind of things that they would normally do but like little signs like finding it harder to get out of bed and, and maintain self-care and all those things and those little things actually those little routines like just showering, change of clothes etc such a massive impact on our well-being that we don't even realize it and i think as well as men because you know male self-care isn't really something that's promoted and so we can almost let that slide as a result of like, oh, okay, it's masculinity, so it's, it's the masculine thing to not take care of itself, so it's fine. But actually, like maintaining that upkeep, mending that for someone could be something that makes a massive difference. Um, 
As I mentioned, uh, so with Frontline, it's um, children's social work. And so with some of our listeners will be um, children and family social workers. So I wonder if you have a perspective with regards to looking at pre-teens. You know, in terms of children's and family social work, really important to consider mental health as well, whether it is for the children, pre-teenagers and or the parents. Um, I think mental health I think it's overlooked is something that's separate to, to children and families and vice versa, children and families often gets overlooked as something that's separate to mental health, you know, but it, it's all um, definitely intertwined and linked and I think that we have to make consideration for both aspects. But it's really difficult at this moment to be able to see how um, kind of preteen children are being impacted by it because so much of their world is way more digital and online than any other generation before. And I think even prior to this, they were perhaps a generation who spent more time at home than any other generation. But at the same time, we're still social beings. And so what does it mean for young people on that aspect? So I wonder if there's any ways of um, uh, which you yourself or perhaps your colleagues um, have um, adapted. And it might be something, you know, quite small, Mm. but effective or something that's a a bit bigger throughout these past weeks. I think one of the best examples I can think of is um, at least in our locality, there's been like a stronger sense of interagency working and co-working. Um, so we, well, my service is working with Arsenal in the community, and but they're not currently running their community programs, the lockdown. And so a few of their staff are essentially volunteering to work with our service to as drivers. So they are um, where possible kind of picking up some of our staff and dropping them home so we have like safe and accessible transport. They're also helping us with um, food parcels and, and donations that we receive so that we can provide food for our most vulnerable um, service users. That's amazing. So I guess thinking about some of the things which this pandemic has caused to change. Um, some of the things it's made us kind of think about, talk about um, opportunities it's opened up. What would you like to see happen when we do go back to, to normal? So I think hopefully, at least to a greater degree than before, it's opened our eyes to social inequalities of society, whether that's socioeconomic inequality, access to healthcare and education, policing, whatever it is, in that aspect, I hope it's opened our eyes to it and that we can adjust accordingly. With regards to um, advice, so as I mentioned, there are some of the listeners will also be social workers like yourself, maybe trainee social workers or maybe um, those who've been in the profession for a number of years. And I wonder if you've got any advice for our listeners that you would like to share. Perhaps two things is um, be creative. So, you know, we know that social work is one of the highest rates of attrition um, and staff turnover. So it's a profession where, you know, it can be quite overwhelming. And I can only imagine how much greater the toll has been on the lockdown. I think we have to be creative in the way that we 
through our social work practice, but also creative in the way that we look after ourselves. I think self-care is incredibly important. Probably now more than ever, we have to think of ways where we can manage our own well-being, you know, so that we're able to continue doing the work that we do. Um, and for anyone who you know, may be thinking about social work or mental health social work specifically, I, you know, I would say just, you know, try to follow your passion and be as informed as you possibly can because I think no matter what, I, that what one thing I've learned is that one-to-one engagement can make such a big difference in someone's life. And I think if if your level of information, passion and knowledge just impacts one person, then, you know, you've done a great job. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that helps anyone who's listening. What's your um, top tip for self-care? What would you say that you do? Oh, top tip for self-care? I go on about self-care all the time, you know. Um, I would say get some good candles. Yeah. Um, you know, like some candles when you get home, some very calming music. Um, but one thing that I've actually been doing to, to try and increase um, my own kind of well-being and self-care is trying to meditate every morning. Um, and, you know, meditation is something I've tried before, but uh, I've got a really scattered kind of brain and um, I find it really difficult to concentrate. So I always really struggle with it. But this time, I just, I'm, I've started to do it on a daily basis. I've almost doing it, been doing it for a month now. And I just spend five to 10 minutes sitting in a comfortable position. You know, oftentimes we get the whole image of someone who's very zen and their legs are crossed and, you know, their, their arms are out and they're almost like floating, but it yeah. doesn't have to be that complicated. Just sit down in a comfortable position, maybe put on some calming music and just close your eyes and breathe and, and visualize um, how you want your day to go, how you want your week, your week to go, visualize certain processes and that makes it a lot easier and a lot more calming to deal with certain things that might come your might come your way. Um, so yeah, that's what I would recommend. Mm. And we don't hardly. I was just saying at the start when I had those days off and they were quite slow. But actually, do you know what? That is fine. I think you, we yeah. do need to carve that time out where we're just silence is fine and being still is fine I think there's something else about um when you're setting those goals for the day it doesn't have to be a massive thing absolutely yeah no I agree okay well I might have to go and get some good candles now I think yeah (laughs) (laughs) um okay so so I guess um a couple of final thoughts What's your hopes? You're going to be finishing. It's a two-year program, isn't it? Think has yeah. to be finishing end of next, next year, 2021. Yeah, 2021. Fab. And, so far away. <laughs> it does. It will fly by, though. It yeah. will fly by. Um, what are your what are your hopes for after that? I mean, yeah. When I finish the program, you know, I really want to continue working in mental health social work. Um, I feel very passionate about social work practice and the impact that it can have in the community. Um, one of the things that I would like to see um, hopefully develop, at least on a personal basis that I'm passionate about, is creating links between different agencies and organisation. So I think social work, more specifically mental health social work, has to have links with schools, with um, youth centres, and there needs to be a lot of widely accessible information about services so that people feel more comfortable accessing them and they don't feel 
it's something that stigmatizes them or their experience, you know, yeah, that's, I, I mean, if I can push for something, that's something that I you know, would ideally like to see. Like, I'd love to see workshops in schools about mental health, about where to go if people are feeling a certain way. Um, maybe we can have mental health social workers who are actually in place in schools. Um, that would be something fantastic. But I think all of these aspects impact our lives in so many ways and they're all intertwined. But we keep thinking about them in a way that's quite separatist. And then, you know, we become quite shocked when some of the data that comes up reveals certain issues. Um, and we keep asking the same questions as to why. Yeah, so I think the solutions are there and hopefully I can add to that in one way. Mm. Really cool. Oh, thank yeah. you. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I think I've had a good yeah, chat tonight. It's a nice one for a Friday afternoon, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. and relaxing. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, thank um, you. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, you too. Lovely to speak to you. Right now. And you. Right. Okay. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye.